Amen, amen. Okay, we got them. Everybody got one that needs one? If you need, still need one, just raise your hand. The ushers will get to you. All right, good, good. Okay, well, what I did here was I, I uh, in this outline, I have when to give, when not to give, and then really what to give or, or how to give. And so uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a lot of content. So I'm going to move through the first two uh, sections pretty quickly. And then I'm going to spend most of my time on the, the last two sections. Uh, today, I'm going to answer the question about tithing. Uh, how do we tithe? Do we, what's the New Testament say about tithing? Do we, do we have a direction we're supposed to give our tithe? How's that all supposed to work? I know there's a lot of teaching out there on this subject, um, but I would, be, I, would be, um, I would be remiss if I didn't go back through it in a real detailed way. And, and here's why. Because when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to tithes and offerings, it's never supposed to be a thing where the people of God feel under bondage about it. We're supposed to feel free about it and glad about it and joyful about it. And I think so often the time uh, when tithes and offerings come or people teach on tithes and offerings, it becomes this thing like, oh no, I have to do this or I'm going to get cursed. Well, that's really not what the New Testament teaches on giving. It, it teaches that it's supposed to be something we're, do, we're doing joyfully and that there's supposed to be freedom. And I want to experience that. I want to experience what it means to be more blessed to give than to receive because that's real and that's true. I want to feel that in my heart. I don't want to just have it in my mind. I want to feel the liberty of giving and the joy of giving. Is anybody with me on that? So we're going to work through these points. Okay, let's look at the introduction. Uh, again, I mentioned this just, just by way of reminder. As we've discussed already, uh, having a generous heart in all ways is the biblical standard for believers. And generosity is beyond just finances. It's, it's your time. It's your possessions. It's love, your emotions, being willing to be there and, and available for people. That's generous. Uh, I'll give a good example this morning. Uh, Becca Pendleton, she wasn't scheduled to help with our production, but uh, we had uh, someone call in sick, and then they couldn't, last minute, and they couldn't get a replacement, and so Becca generously stood up and said, you know what, I'm happy to help, and she helped us with our production this morning. That, I looked at her, I said, that's being very generous, thank you. And that's generosity in, in an area of your time. But it's beyond that. It, it does include money. And, uh, and as I say there in B, generosity is giving more than what is expected. That's the definition of it. And as we identified in the last couple of weeks, there's a baseline for giving and then giving beyond that. And that's where we step into generosity. And, and the, the Bible standard is really generosity. That's what the New Testament teaches, that we're to be generous. And we went through the scriptures in detail last week about how generosity is really where we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in this place of giving even above what would be expected or above what is the norm. C, generosity is a response from a heart of love and a function of intimacy with Jesus. And that's what's beautiful about giving. It's that when I give... I'm not necessarily giving to a person or a church or a missions environment. I mean, I am giving to those, but the Lord actually receives our giving as us giving to him. Every time we give, we can literally just say, Lord, I love you. And here, I, I want to give this to you because I love you. 
And it's a function of our love relationship and our intimacy with Jesus that enables us to step into the, the liberty and the obedience of giving and being generous. Okay, so D, this is what I'm doing today. If generosity is our guideline, and it is, then we've got to know when to give, when not to give, and what are the principles regarding giving. Okay, so we're going to work through this. And as I said, I'm going to go quickly through two and three, and then I'll spend more time on four and five. You got four pages there in your outline, so we got to, I got to talk quick, and you got to listen fast. All right. When to give. When to give. There's scriptures that tell us when to give, and then there's clear scriptures that tell us when not to give. Let me work us through those. I was trying to think in my mind, have I ever heard a guy, a preacher, get up and tell people when not to give? I, I don't think so. So this is my first one. First time I've ever heard somebody, a preacher ever get up and tell people when not to give. Well, I'm going to tell you about seven times not to give. All right, but let's start with when to give. Let's get us in a positive direction. We give when the Bible tells us to give. That's when we give. That's the first one. We give when the Bible tells us to give. And so we've got to understand when the Bible says. A, one, we give first. The Bible's really clear. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It basically is this, that out of whatever you receive, you're supposed to give first to the Lord. People have told me over the years, they say, you know, I wanted to give, but I had this and this and this, and you know, I had that other thing, and I had to get my latte at Starbucks, and by the time I got all of that, I couldn't I didn't have anything to give. Just didn't have anything. Well, I'll tell you what, if you'll give first, you know what? You always have something to give. And that's just a principle, especially for young people. It's just a principle to get in place right now. Give out of your increase first. I remember when I was in college, I'll give this one story in this section. I was in college, just gotten saved, and, uh, and I remember I, I had like a, a power bill or something, and I don't know, it was something small. It, it was, you know, 40 or 50 bucks. It really wasn't that much money, but <laughs> for a college student, it was like a lot. And I, and I remember... I had this bill and it was about 40, 50 bucks. And that's about all the money I had. I had just worked, had a little part-time job. I was working in a little Christian bookstore and I got like 50 bucks off the you know, week that I'd worked. And I'm sitting there looking at this power bill and I'm sitting there looking at my 50 bucks and I'm sitting there thinking, I gotta pay my bill. I know I'm supposed to tithe, but if I, if I tithe and give an offering, then I won't have enough for, for this bill. So I went ahead and I put all the money on my bill and I didn't give anything that week. And I said, you know me. I'm good for it. I'll give next time. And what happened was this. The next two weeks, I didn't get scheduled at work. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have any groceries. I didn't have anything. I was like, I mean, I was beyond the zero factor. I was incurring debt within just a short period of time. And I said, Lord, Lord, I, I'm so next time. I'll do that first. It's, the point isn't to not pay the power bill. The point is to trust the Lord to meet all your needs. Amen. And then here's what happened. Like three months later, exact same situation came up. Small little paycheck, 50 bucks or something, power bill. It was like the exact same thing. And I was like, Lord, I can't not pay my bills. My roommates will kill me. And, you know, it's wrong. But I was like, all right, I'm going to give the tithe. I'm going to give the offering. And then I'm going to give what I can to the power bill. And I'm going to trust you. And so I did that. I gave first. And I trusted the Lord. And the, do you know what? Money started showing up everywhere. Isn't it funny how that works? You honor the Lord from your first fruits, 
And then he causes your vats, whatever that is, your bank account or whatever, to overflow. And, I, you know, from that moment forward, I remember I was, I was in college. I was a sophomore. I, I, I thought, you know what? I'll never do that again. I will always give first, and I'll trust the Lord to meet every need. And do you know, for now for 27 years since that point, the Lord's, the Lord's met every need. We, you know, I made a decision, and my wife and I, when we got married a few years after that, made a decision we'd always tithe and give offerings first, and then trust the Lord, and he's met every need ever since then. We've never, I've never uh, had a problem. There's been times when it's been lean. Doesn't mean that there's not times when it's lean. Amen. But he's met every need. So we give first. Two, we give tithes, a tithe is a 10%. I'm gonna go into details about what the, tithe, what the tithe is, how we give the tithe. Three, we give offerings. I said it's everything in addition to the tithe. And fourth, we give alms, which are gifts specifically directed to the poor. I would encourage you, if you're not, um, if you're not currently giving to the poor as a part of the offerings you give, incorporate that because in the scripture, there are so many verses about giving to the poor. It's just over and over and over and over. It could be poor in other nations. It could be helping local um, co-ops and shelters here. Uh, but I would encourage you, make sure that you're giving some of your finances to the poor. Okay, so when to give? We give when the Bible instructs. B, we give when we have opportunity, which is what Jesus was identifying Matthew 5. And it's what I talked about last week about having a willing heart. When there's an opportunity to give, we wanna be there on the edge of our seat going, okay, how can I give? How can I participate? How can I be a part? And it's what Paul said. You know, he said, I want you to abound so that every time there's an opportunity, you can participate. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so that's part of the, the reason why the Lord causes us to abound is so that when there's opportunity, we can always be generous. We can always give. So we give when we have the opportunity. We give when we have the ability. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more in when not to give, because we don't give when we don't have the ability. But when we have the ability and we have the opportunity, we give. We give as the Holy Spirit leads. Amen. We're the children of God. We're to give when he tells us to. At the end of the day, it's all his anyway, isn't it? That'd be a little weird if he says, hey, give some of my money to this guy right here. And you go... Yeah, I don't think so. He goes, that's, but that's my money. He goes, and then you say, well, I kind of wanted to get this little gadget. I can't really give that. No, we give as the Holy Spirit leads. I like E. We give when no one is looking. Matthew 6, he said, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. There's something beautiful about giving anonymously. Have you ever done that? You ever dropped a little money on somebody and they didn't know that you got it, that you're the one that gave it to them and you kind of just, you just walk away, just you and God chuckling about that person just got blessed and they have no idea how it happened. I love that. I love that. You give when no one is looking. I love that. All right. When not to give. When not to give. Like I said, this might be a first in the history of church. When not to give, you give when you have nothing to, you, you do not give when you have nothing to give. If you don't have anything to give, then you don't give. And that's what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, it's according to what you have 
and not according to what you don't have. I gave the example last week of when I got, uh, well, I got, I don't know how to say it, manipulated into making a $1,000 pledge to a television evangelist. And I mean, I can't blame it on him. It was myself, but he said, there you are. You're sitting in your, in your T-shirt there in your kitchen and you don't have any money, but you have to give right now. I was like, that's me. And I called up and I made a pledge and my roommates who were believers too, they looked at me and said, why did you make that pledge? I said, the guy had a word of knowledge. They said, that wasn't real. Come on, you don't have anything to give. The Bible tells you only give according to what you have. Don't be making faith pledges on credit cards. Amen. And then believing for supernatural debt relief. Don't do that. You give according to what you have. Do not give if you do not have it. Now I will tell you this. Flip over to page two. At the same time, God gives seed to the sower. If you want to be a sower, ask God for seed. If you want to give, ask him for something to give. And it will be surprising how often the Lord will give you something to give. Coincidentally, this, there's something blessed about giving even when you have a need. Some people think, well, when I get all my needs met, then I'll give. But we see the example that Paul gives of the Macedonians, which I've referenced the last couple of weeks, how they gave, they gave lavishly even in their own state of poverty to help relieve the believers in Jerusalem who were in famine and who were in poverty. And so don't be so quick to count yourself out and say, I cannot give. No, ask the Lord to give you something to give. He gives seed to the sower. If you wanna sow, he'll give you something to give. And then ask the Holy Spirit for grace. Even when you have a need, ask him for grace. And there's been many times where, where my wife and I, we've sown into a situation, even though we had many other areas of need, we said, we wanna give to this and bless it and then trust the Lord to make up the difference. And he does. The Lord takes care of you. And so don't give if you don't have anything, but then I would say ask for the grace to give even if you have needs. It's one of those things where you have to have a conversation with God, which really is the bottom line of giving. You have to have a conversation with God. Why? Because it's his stuff anyway. Giving requires intimacy. And you have to have that conversation. Okay, B, when not to give? When you are unwilling. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God loves a willing, cheerful giver, but if you're begrudging a gift, you should go back to the Lord and get your heart clear before you give. Don't give with a bad attitude. Don't. I would rather you not give with a bad attitude and be obedient to the scripture than up, you know, walk up here all mad like, you know, because the Lord is looking at that. He's looking at your heart. If you're in a bad attitude and you're, you're feeling begrudging over giving, ask the Lord to deal with that. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be leaning towards generosity. Isn't that right? We're supposed to have a heart that says, I want to figure out how to give, not, oh, I hate giving. Get it, get it dealt with, and then you can give. But don't give in that bad attitude, that bad spirit. People, I've heard stories. I've never had this happen to me in ministry. But I've heard pastors tell stories about people who gave, 
uh, the church, and then they got mad about something. They changed the color of the walls or something. They got mad. Then they left the church, and then they, they sent the church a bill for all the tithes and offerings they'd given them. Give me my money. I want my money back. <laughs> I'm going to guess they gave with a bad attitude. If you send us a bill trying to get your money back, we will not send it back to you. I'm just telling you right now, that money's in Africa. That ain't, that ain't, it ain't right here. It's done. It's over there somewhere. Good luck. You can go get it. Go over there to Africa and try to figure out where it's at. <laughs> I am preaching. <laughs> don't give with a bad attitude. C, don't give when you feel pressured, manipulated, or, co or coerced. Don't give if the guy is up there coercing you to give. That's what Paul said right there in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, don't give on the one side grudgingly. On the other side, he goes, don't give under compulsion. They're up there and they're manipulating you and shaming you and demanding you to give and they're coercing you to give, and this thing is not about intimacy with Jesus and a free heart, don't give. I've been in a number of services where the guy would stand up and he'd say, if you'll give right now, you're gonna get a hundredfold return, or you're gonna get a healing, or you're gonna get a prophecy. Do not give in those situations. I'll just tell you right now, don't give. That's not the Lord. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you will find multiple times where the Lord rebukes and releases judgment on the priests and the prophets for demanding that they would be given finances so that they could minister. If you ever find a preacher, uh, you see this now, it's weird, and in, in in, in sometimes with prophetic people, you'll see that they require a, a financial gift before they can prophesy. You know what that's called? The devil. Don't do that. Don't give to that. That's a mess. That's a wreck. Don't give under coercion. Don't give under manipulation. <clears throat> D, don't give when you're in discord with another believer. That's what Jesus taught us. He said, if you realize that your brother or sister has a problem uh, with you, that you're in discord, he goes, actually leave your gift at the altar and don't offer it, just leave it and then go get it right with your brother and sister and then come back and then you can present your gift. There's something about having your heart right and, and having it flowing in, in unity with uh, your brothers and sisters in the body and then being able to give out of that place of, of community and love rather than out of this place of discord. The Lord doesn't want it. He, he wants you to be in unity before you give. Now, I can see somebody working that going, huh, well, I got a problem with so-and-so and they won't forgive me, so I guess I can't give for the next three years. <laughs> Works for me. You know, don't do that. As much as it depends on you, be at peace. If they won't be reconciled with you after you've done your very best, you still give, but your heart is for reconciliation, and that's the point, that you get your heart right for reconciliation as a means to, to being in unity, and then you can give, all right. E, don't give when you're not in faith. 
It's kind of like that begrudging one. When you're not in faith, the Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Don't give when you're not in faith. Get your heart to that place where you can, you can trust God. You know, a lot of times people, when they're getting coerced, they, they're not in faith. They're just throwing the money in there like, a, like a, a, a roulette wheel or like some kind of lotto ticket. You know, I'm just gonna put the money in the offering and maybe I'll hit the jackpot. No, don't give like that. Go, go in faith. Lord, I know you see my heart. I know you love me. Here, I love you too. I'm giving out of that place, trusting you. That you supply every one of my needs. I believe you. I trust you. Give in that place. F. I've already hit this one, but I, I just hit it from another angle. <clears throat> Don't give when the appeal to give is based on lust for things. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes you have this manipulation, like if you'll give, you'll get a healing. But other times you have this thing where they're, they're saying, if you'll give, you'll get a hundredfold return. Or just write down, have you ever, you've probably had this one, well, they'll say, write on the envelope what you're believing God for, a Lexus or a new car or a new house. And you just sow your seed, and God's going to meet that need. Glory. It rhymes, but it's just not good. It's not right. <laughs> you, you don't give based on lusts. Now, at the same time, God promises that if you sow, you will reap, that he'll meet every need, that your vats will overflow with plenty. The Lord loves to do that, but we're not giving with that as our motivation. That's the point. We're giving with love as our motivation, from a clean heart in unity with the brethren and we're giving to, to love Jesus and to be obedient. Don't give you know, with the motivation that, well, if I put a, a thousand in, then I'm gonna get a hundred thousand back, which is how I got roped into that, that online scheme, or the, I mean, the, the, not online, but he was on the television, that scheme. And so that's what James says in four, James 4.3. He says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I mean, right there, the Bible just tells you if you're, if you're asking, trying to spend it on your own lusts, you're not going to receive anyway. Don't give trying to get for your own lust. That's not going to work. Does that make sense? All right. Well, there's a bunch of ways not to give, a bunch of ways to give. Now, let's talk about tithing. This is really where I want to get to. The reason why I want, to, I want to dial in on this is, is I think this, I think two points. Number one, I think in the Bible, there's a lot of misunderstanding when people are reading different scriptures. Uh, there's misunderstanding about what the Bible is actually saying in regard to tithing. So they might read a scripture over here and then they don't understand how that applies over here, which is what I mean. Like a lot of times people read the Old Testament uh, law on tithing and then they're trying to figure out how do I apply that to the New Testament because I'm a, I'm a believer under grace and under the law. I don't know how this works. And, and then at times you have to take multiple verses into account and look at their contexts to be able to figure out what's the Bible actually saying about tithing. And so I think what happens is this, I'll just, I'll just be kind about it. I think oftentimes when we're hearing uh, teaching on tithing, it's not given in a fullness. It's kind of given in sort of proof texts and people um, feel, they feel coerced a little bit and compelled and a little fearful that if they don't give their tithe, they're gonna be in real bad trouble with God. And so I wanna walk through that I want to walk through understanding what the Bible says, and, and then I want our hearts to be alive. I don't want us to feel leveraged as it relates to tithes and offerings. I want us, our hearts to feel free. And so here's how it works. Uh, you know, when you don't have direct commands in the Bible, what you have to do is you've got to look at the principle and the practice of the overall picture 
of, of believers and the people of God in the scripture. So if you don't have a direct command on something, you got to look at the whole story. And then from the whole story, you can figure out what the precedents are, what the principles are, and what your practice ought to be. Does that make sense? A lot of times people, when they're looking for specifics on like tithing or just other points, they go, okay, where is the one verse that says, this is how you tithe, A, B, C, D, I need that one. And because they don't find that, they don't know exactly what to do. And they can get easily confused and at times manipulated through preachers that, that are trying to, to leverage them for money. So here's the deal. Tithing is one of these topics where the New Testament doesn't give us explicit commands on tithing. And what I did right there and see is this. I actually list the five verses. There's only five verses in the New Testament where tithing is mentioned. So what that means is this, in regard to tithing, we've got to look at the biblical principle from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. We've got to look at the precedents that are in place and the practice. And then from there, we can kind of see how the first century saints would have thought about tithing and how the authors would have, would have been thinking when they were talking about giving. Okay, let's go ahead and turn over. And we're on Roman numeral five. So I want to answer specific questions in the rest of our time and talk about this issue of tithing. Now, I will tell you this. I've probably got, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 pages of notes on this subject of tithing. Because somewhere, maybe five, seven years ago, I realized that much of what I'd heard on the subject, uh, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't line up with what I knew about God's heart towards believers, and so I needed to do the work myself. And so um, I, I went through and spent a ton of time looking at the Old Testament law, the, the structure in the law for tithing, and then what the New Testament says and the heart that God um, you know, encourages us in generosity, what God says about greed. And, and I'll just give you this as just a tidbit, and you can, you can potentially uh, study this out on your own if you desire. But what you'll find is this. When you look into the Old Testament law, you'll find this, that uh, in Israel, they were uh, commanded by the law to, to give somewhere around 28 to 32% of their income. There was actually a double tithe that they were required to give. One tithe went to the Levites, Another tithe actually was something they were to store up and utilize for pilgrimages and the feasts. And then they were supposed to invite others besides their family to take part in and, you know, those meals and, 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 and those feasts with them. So that's about 20%. Then they had a first uh, fruits. Uh, they, they were supposed to give of their, of their harvests. They were supposed to give a portion of that as an offering. And first fruits and tithes weren't exactly the same. In fact, they weren't the same at all. First fruits was what you gave from the first portion of your, of your harvest. Then there was a firstborn offering. So any animal that opened the womb, this is what the, the scripture says, that animal was dedicated to the Lord as was the firstborn child dedicated to the Lord. Then there were also a couple other um, offerings that they were supposed to give for the temple and then uh, a life ransom. 
And so depending on what your income was, you would be in the 28 to 32% tax uh, tithe bracket. <laughs> because it, it worked as not just uh, an offering giving to the Lord, it actually worked as uh, providing infrastructure for the, the social center of Israel, which was the temple. You see what I'm saying? It was, it was not just the religious structure, it was the social center, it was both and. So <clears throat> let me just say it this way. If we took the Old Testament law on tithing and applied that to New Testament believers, we'd be in the 32 percentile for some folk in their giving as a requirement. And on the low end, we'd be in the 25 to 28, so to speak, uh, percentile. Well, there's, that's not what the New Testament tells us. The New Testament doesn't tell us to take the Old Testament law and apply it to the New Testament, does it? We're, we're not actually under the law. We, the law is not done away with. It's been fulfilled in Christ. And so the law, what it does for us is it provides, I think, a basis for New Testament morality. In other words, the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments give us the basis for New Testament morality. Well, same is the case with the, the tithe and, and the offering structure. And so from there, we have, we're informed as to how they gave in the Old Testament, and then we can understand how are we called to give in the New Testament. Now, just to remind us, we've talked about generosity because that's what the New Testament calls us to. It calls us to generosity, to give over and, and above what's expected or what's the norm. And so that's, that's the standard rule in the New Testament. In fact, that's the New Testament command for believers to give generously. Well, I think what we need to do is then get a biblical understanding of what they were thinking so that we can know what they meant by generosity. Does that make sense? So, A, under Roman numeral five, since tithing was a part of the Old Testament law, are we su uh, still supposed to practice tithing? Aren't we under grace instead of law? And so let me just walk through this for us. One, though tithing was a part of the law, the principle of tithing was in place actually hundreds of years before the law was given. And I've heard people that are against tithes uh, you know, against tithing, they say, well, tithe's under the law. We're not under the law. You don't give tithes anymore. And I would say, okay, yeah, there is a tithing structure under the law, but actually the tithing structure existed. The principle actually existed prior to the law. And I give you the two examples that we see very clearly in scripture. We have Abraham who paid tithes to Melchizedek. And if you want to read the story, it's in Genesis 14. And then Jacob who made a vow to give God a tenth of all that God gave him. And undoubtedly, he passed that down through, the, through his sons and generations in the nation of Israel. So then by the time that the law came out through Moses, we had a much more developed and clear you know, um, command about tithing. But tithing was already in place prior. Now, what does that mean for us? It means this, that the, the principle of tithing is a biblical principle that transcends the law and is applicable for New Testament believers. It's a biblical principle that is in place in the scripture before the Old Testament law, so it's applicable to us. Not as a law, but as a principle. Do you understand the difference? 
It's not a law for New Testament believers to follow tithing. It's a biblical principle that God gives. Now, B, so is there a direct command in the New Testament directing believers to tithe? No, there is not a verse in the New Testament that commands believers to tithe. Instead, there are multiple verses that command believers to give and give generously. And that's what we've talked about the last couple weeks, that giving generously is the guideline, it's the baseline. So the definition for generosity is giving beyond what is expected. And it follows that generous giving would begin with a tithe and then go beyond that. Let me just expound on that for a minute. The New Testament authors and the writers of the New Testament were familiar with the Old Testament law. They were familiar with with Abraham. They were familiar with Jacob and their giving of a tithe in the Old Testament, giving more than that under the law. They were familiar with that construct. So understanding the tithe as a baseline would have been, it would have been normal in the mentality of that New Testament person reading those letters. So when they got the letter and they were called to generosity, And they understood that generosity meant giving beyond what's normal or giving beyond what's expected. They would have known that generous giving in the New Testament would be giving beyond the tithe. And we see that throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus calls the believers to to the, the values of the kingdom, he always takes it beyond just the external to the heart that's overflowing in certain areas. For instance, he says, uh, you have heard, but I say to you, he says it multiple times in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and every one of his, but I say to you, takes it a step further. Like he says, you have heard that it says, don't commit adultery. He goes, but I say, don't even look on a woman with lust in your eyes. You see how he takes it another step and it goes beyond the externals that the law was addressing and deals with the internals that the heart is addressing. And so the New Testament rule is generosity. The baseline is in place from what we see in the Old Testament, even prior to the law. And I think the baseline is tithing and generosity is going beyond the baseline. All right, C, is there a direct command in the New Testament, directing believers to tithe to the local church. Now you've heard this before, uh, and you've heard people unequivocally say, the tithe goes to the storehouse, the storehouse is the local church, you have to give your tithe to the local church. And they say it in a really, really strong way. And um, I, I, I kinda take issue with so much of the way that giving is taught because I feel like it's supposed to be a, I don't feel, I think the New Testament teaches it, that it's supposed to be a, a, a re- response of love and not this compulsion and it's supposed to be freedom and, and joy. It's supposed to be joy. When you read Old Testament accounts, when they would go into revival under the Old Testament kings, they would say, okay, we're gonna take an offering up for, for the temple. And like under Hezekiah, they bring in so much that they don't have any room for it. They actually have to build storehouses onto the temple to hold the tithe and the offering that the people bring. 
The idea of the storehouse actually came from that revival that was under Hezekiah. And we see that every single time that there's a move of the spirit where the people come back to God in the Old Testament. It's also accompanied with this outpouring of finances. They just give joyously and joyfully. That's what the New Testament church is supposed to be experiencing. Life in the spirit, alive in God, alive in love and giving joyfully. Amen. So is there a direct command to give to the, to the local church? Well, let's just look at it. I'll say this. Since there's not a New Testament command concerning tithing, there's also not a New Testament command that demands the tithe has to go to the local church. Now, at the same time, there is clear biblical precedent for the tithe to be paid to the worship center for the people of God. Israel always gave the tithe to the Levites, and they did so by bringing it to the tabernacle and later to the temple. And then the practice of bringing the tithe to the storehouse, what we see in Malachi 3.10, it was well established in the Old Testament. And so this is the way that I think about it. The tithe is something that the Lord set up as a precedent, and throughout the scripture, they always gave to the worship center where the people of God were connected, where they were, were receiving ministry from, where the priests were employed to, to, to minister to the people. And so they were always uh, directed to give to the worship center. We don't have a New Testament command to give to the local church, but I think the principle is clear. Furthermore, we don't see believers ever self-directing their tithe. Well, this week, I just want to give my tithe to so-and-so over there. And, and this week, I just want to give my tithe to so-and-so over here. We, we don't ever see that as a principle in the Bible anywhere. We, we always see the tithe going to the, the worship center. And so uh, the way that I see it is this, that that's the principle. That's the precedent. That was the practice of the scripture. There's not a direct command in the New Testament. There's clearly commands under the Old Testament law, but we see it as a practice, and it's something that I've looked at and said, you know, I think that's probably the safest way for me to practice tithing. And so just as a matter of teaching, I'll just say this. My wife and I, we've always given the first 10% of our giving to wherever we were connected in our spiritual family. Whatever that local church was, we always gave our first 10% there. Then beyond that, we would give offerings to a variety of places. Sometimes it would be the ministries that the church was doing. Sometimes it would be to help the poor, still is. Sometimes it's missionaries. Sometimes it's overseas. And then I always have this Personally, I just have this, you know, I think between me and the Lord, this area of giving that's just generosity that we haven't plotted out, but we just try to give. We try to bless whoever we see that has needs as we have the ability. It could be the waitress or the waiter. It could be, you know, a missionary here that we know has an issue and has a, a challenge. It could just be somebody I feel moved to give a little money to and we try to bless them. But all that goes into that heart of generosity, I got to tell you this story. So this has happened two weeks in a row. Our young adults, Forerunner Church, hallelujah. They, so, well, because here's the deal with young people. You can say, 
you got to do such and such. And they're like, all right, let's do it. They don't like go home and like figure out the 17 reasons why they may or may not should do it. They just do it. They jump on it. That's why I love to be in a youth pastor because you could just say, come on, let's go for God. And they're like, yeah. So our young adults, the last two weeks, they've been listening to this message on generosity. And they've been hearing me talk about how Christians don't need to stiff their waiters and waitresses. Amen. And so the last two weeks, this is so cool. They've gone out to eat and they started plotting and planning and there'd be like eight or 10 or 12 of them. And they literally, instead of just giving a little, you know, 10% on the bill, they'd sit there and plot and plan. And they would literally take up an offering for the waiter and the waitress. Now get this. Both weeks, they've given over $200 to those respective waiters and waitresses. And both weeks, the, the waiter slash waitress broke down in tears crying. Now, one of them's like, where do you guys go to church? <laughs> we go to the happy church. That's where we go. International House of Happy Prayer. All right. And, and he said, I've got to come to your church. I've never, ever experienced people giving like this. But both times they're in tears. And both times they were able to minister the gospel to them, pray over them, prophesy to them. And the Holy Spirit just touching the waiter and the waitress right there in the restaurant. And man, the Bible's clear. A man's gift will make room for him. You want your waiter to hear the gospel? Give him 50 bucks and see how that'll work. So <clears throat> that, they, they just jumped on that, uh, that, that mentality of generosity. Now, for me, I love that. I go, okay, how does that work in terms of my giving? See, that would be in an area of offering. I would say, okay, that's an offering beyond the baseline of the tithe. And you give and you give lavishly and generously and you watch the Lord use that. Amen. All right, top of page four. Furthermore, this is important because I think we see precedent in the New Testament that's really even stronger than how I'm presenting it right now. But I wanna, I wanna use this as a, as a teaching point for us. In the New Testament, it's really clear, it's super evident that the apostles, and specifically Paul, they would give detailed instructions and directives to the church on how and where to give. And, and, and primarily, you, the examples you see in the New Testament are in regard to offerings to the poor, but it's really, really evident when you take into account the scriptures that identify how they gave in the New Testament that the church was looking to the leadership to follow how, what's the pattern that we're supposed to use for giving. And then you see the example in Acts 5. You know, Acts 5 is a tough one because, you know, you have Ananias and Sapphira and uh, they lie about, you know, they said they sold a piece of property and they brought the money through and they said, yeah, we're giving all of it to the, to the believers. And, uh, you know, Ananias does it first. He brings it in, says, it's all for the believers. It's all for the church. And Peter's already going, yeah, I don't think so. The Holy Spirit drops it on Peter that he's lying. He says, hey, so all of it? Yeah, all of it. It's all that we got. He goes, yeah, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. 
and he falls, the man falls down dead. Now, I'm not telling you you can fall down dead if you don't, don't give your tithe. What I am telling you is there was a clear expectation, not even that he would give all of it, but that he'd be honest about his giving and not parade himself as somebody who was giving something that he wasn't. And so what's, I always thought this was interesting, especially when I was a youth pastor. His wife comes in later. She, can you imagine? She walks in and there's everybody. They're like, oh, shh, don't say anything. She walks in and Peter asks her, say, hey, so how much did you guys sell that land for? And she's, she's got the deal with her husband, the plan. And she says, such and such. And he, and he, he said, so you gave all that, huh? She said, yeah, we gave all of it. <laughs> and then Peter's, I mean, it's just, it's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of gangster how he says this. He goes, the feet of them that carried your husband out are at the door. And they're about to carry you out too. And she falls down dead. Poof. And then this phrase always got me. And then the young man came, young men came and carried her out. The youth group came and picked her up. Wow, this is crazy. You know, they run her out. And I just always thought, wow, this is, a, this is no joke before the Lord. There's something holy about our giving and definitely the issue of lying about it or parading like you're something that you're not in front of the assembly is just, it's just no good. But the, the expectation was that the believers were to bring their money to, to the apostles at that time and and, and, and lay it before them. And that's what everybody was doing. And Ananias is fire or lied about it. Well, Paul, he gives other directives. Like if you read 1 Corinthians 16, he says, just as I told you, I want you to take up your offerings on the first day of the week out of what you have and purpose in your heart so that the offerings will be ready. He says that in 1 Corinthians 16. Then 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he gives specific directives to the church on how they're supposed to give. My main point of it all is this, that we have a clear indication in the New Testament that the leadership, they're actually giving directive to the church on how they're to give. We don't like that in America because we're entrepreneurial and individualistic, but we see that clearly in the New Testament that there was a corporate sense of giving that was a combined effort. And there's a principle behind this. If we put our monies together as we put our monies together, what we're able to do with our money multiplies in a way that if we just give here and there on a whim, it doesn't have the same power and effect. Does that make sense? And there's something about the body being united, being together, and going together in a thing that multiplies our power and our effectiveness that's different than if we're just all sort of just randomly giving, you know, here and there. And that's what I think the tithe is supposed to do. I think it's supposed to multiply the kingdom impact of the congregation of the righteous so that our finances are pulled together and then they go and they, I mean, they really make impacts where we put those finances. And so that's the, I think that's the principle behind the giving to the worship center, the, the center place of worship. Okay, lastly, D, are you cursed, according to Malachi 3, 6, if you do not pay tithes? Now, we know this passage because anybody that's ever been in church has heard this passage taught uh, as it relates to giving tithes and offerings. 
says, will a man rob God? And then you say, how have we robbed you? And then God says, uh, through tithes and offerings, he says, you're cursed with a curse, even the whole lot of you, because you haven't brought all the tithes into the storehouse. And then it usually goes in the teaching, the storehouse is the local church. And, and, and so they, they'll take that passage and they'll apply it apples to apples to believers under the New Testament. Anybody ever heard that? I, you know, for years I heard that and I go, that's right, they're cursed, they're cursed. And then I thought, huh, after, after I kind of got to know a little bit more of the scripture and I said, huh, so Lord, are you cursing your children in the New Testament? Are you dropping curses on your kids? Huh, what's really going on here in Malachi? And so I look at it, and this is what you have to see about that Malachi 3. Malachi 3, you have a wayward nation, Israel, who's under covenant with God, okay? They have a, a legitimate biblical covenant that's explained in Deuteronomy 28, really 28 through 32, you get the chunk of it. And that covenant had them in the place of blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. And the cursings were the activity of the enemy operating in the life of, of the nation. And so here what we have in Malachi 3 is this. The nation of Israel has departed their covenant with God. In fact, in Malachi 1, if you read it, it's, it's kind of crazy the prophet is rebuking Israel because they are giving the worst of their flocks and offering that to the Lord. And what they're doing is this. They're going through their flock and they're finding the, the diseased animal. They're getting the diseased one and then they're bringing that to the temple for a sacrifice. Or they're finding the blind animal or the one that's got a maimed leg and they're giving that as their offering. And they're paying their tithes with their worst. And so that's what's happening. We have a nation whose heart has departed from the Lord. What they're offering the Lord is their absolute throwaways. In fact, it says in Malachi 1, he goes, would you give this to your governor? Why are you giving it to me, the Lord? I mean, the Lord's rebuking them. I just, you know, can you imagine? You're the guy. You're looking over your flocks. You're like, ah, oh, it's tithing time again. Oh, yeah, give me the runt. Don't even touch him. He's diseased. Ah, oh, I'm getting rid of him. Here, give me the gloves. You pick him up. You're like, ew. Tithes and offerings. Woo! Got that done again. That's what was going on. So when God says, you're robbing me, by chapter three, he's addressing their heart and how they're giving. And he says, because of that and because of our covenant, you're cursed with a curse. The whole nation's cursed because of the way you guys are handling the tithe and the offering. So then he goes on to say, now bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And he goes, and test me. He goes, I'm good. I'm gonna pour out a blessing that you won't even have room enough to hold it if you'll, if you'll just honor this part of our covenant. Now, oftentimes that's applied apples to apples to believers, but the deal is this. 
under the new covenant, under the blood of Jesus, we're not under law, we're under grace. It doesn't mean that we don't have to follow the morality of the law. What it means is this, that God's not looking at us and saying, you're cursed because you're not following the covenant. Instead, with new believers under the New Testament, he convicts you. He goes, hey, remember that whole thing about generosity? And you go, uh-huh. He goes, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. And he starts putting his finger on your heart. And he goes, I want to partner with you in that. How can you change in that area? And we feel that sharp, tender, bold conviction of the Holy Spirit rest on us. And oftentimes it's not even, I mean, the Lord doesn't even have to have a conversation. He just, he just says the word to us. He just goes, generosity. And you go, oh, right? He goes, patience, oh, kindness, ow. He just says the one word, right? So that's how the Lord deals with his kids. It's just the look, it's the look, it's the parent look. He just gives the look. And we go, oh, right. He's not dropping curses on his church. Does that make sense what I'm saying? If you've ever felt like you were under the curse of the Lord because of not tithing, I wanna just break that off for you, okay? Because that's not what the Bible teaches. That, that scripture's applicable to Israel under the law. Now, how then does this work for us? Say you're, you're rejecting the leading of the Holy Spirit. Say you're rejecting the biblical New Testament commands and principles. Well, the Bible tells us what happens to us when we reject New Testament commands and principles. For instance, sowing and reaping. We talked about that last week. It's a cause and effect principle that's commanded in the New Testament that we would be generous. It's there. It's clear. We, we will reap as we sow. The measure we use will be measured back to us. These truths, they determine how we're going to receive. Now, here's the thing. If we follow the New Testament commands, the Bible's clear. We're going to be blessed. We're going to have, you know, uh, uh, the Lord supplying to us and the measure that we sow, it's going to come back to us. There's going to be a financial blessing to us. If we follow the principle of tithing with generosity, it's going to positively impact us. However, if we choose to go against that principle, if we choose to, to neglect generosity, to neglect tithing, the Bible's clear. We're gonna reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we're gonna from the flesh reap corruption. It's really, really clear. And if we depart from New Testament commands, the Lord will convict us and bring us back to repentance. But if we refuse to repent, the wages of sin is ultimately death. And that's the way it's taught in the New Testament, guys. This thing is never supposed to have been a leverage point, a beat you down point, a thing where you feel scared of God. If you don't give your tithe, you're dead. It's never supposed to have been that. It's always supposed to have been this thing where your heart's flowing in love. You love the Lord. You want to be obedient because you love him, just like in every other area. And so you go, Lord, I want to be generous. Open my heart so I can be generous. And so then you just release and you bless and the Lord adds to you as you release and bless. Does that make sense? 
I want that to be the way that we flow as a community. I want our hearts to flow in generosity. I, I want us to, to, to give lavishly. I, I want us to engage in, in giving tithes and giving offerings and, and flow with what the New Testament talks about with believers sowing lavishly and reaping abundantly. That's what I want us to be like, but I don't want us to live under the law of it. I want us to live soaring in the grace of it. Does that make sense? Beloved, this is where we need to be. So I will end with that. There it is on tithes and offerings. I believe it's biblical principle for believers to tithe, to give offerings. I believe it's biblical principle for it to go to the worship center, the tithe to go to the worship center, for offerings to, to go into other directions, um, at times to to ministry outreaches at times, uh, at, at times to, you know, just the, the person you see in the public that needs a little help at times to the poor. I believe that's biblical principle. And I believe this, if we follow it, our hearts will be alive. We'll, we'll, we'll flow with the Holy Spirit and we'll experience the blessing of the Lord in our finances. Amen and amen. All right, let's stand.